Welcome to the Mark Driscoll Podcast. To find more Bible teaching from Pastor Mark, visit realfaith.com. Thanks for listening and being a part of Real Faith. And remember, it's all about Jesus. I've been coming here for 13 years. Love your church very much. Very honored to be simulcasting to the campuses and also online and also back to the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. Let me tell you this. I love you so much. I came here from Scottsdale, Arizona. It was 75 degrees. I was in flip-flops. I had the top off my Jeep so Jesus could see me in all my joy. And we landed. It's a high this weekend of seven degrees in Missouri. Somebody asked, is like, is it cold? Yes, it's cold. It's colder than a double Valentine date with the Trumps and the Bidens. It's that cold in Missouri. It's freezing. It's freezing. Grace and I, we met at uh, age 17. I got saved at 19. We got married at 21. We went on our honeymoon. We're, we're newlyweds. And I'll never forget when we checked into uh, the place that we were staying, the, uh, the person that oversaw this, this beautiful place that we stayed, it was a sweet lady who knew Jesus and we didn't know her. She pulled us together and she said something very interesting. She said, uh, she said you have an enemy, but you're not one another's enemy. I thought, well, that's a weird thing to say. Now that I've been married, I know exactly what she was talking about, amen? If you're single and you're like, that sounds weird, ask a married person, we know exactly what she was talking about. You have an enemy in your marriage and the problem can be that you think that your enemy is your spouse. You don't realize that you and your spouse actually do have an enemy. It was many years later, we had uh, five kids. I know, Grace can't keep her hands off me, pray. I just feel... I'm like, hey, I have a face and a brain too, and I'd like to talk sometimes. But, so pray for us, we're working on it. So, many years later, we got five kids, and uh, we were in the bathroom uh, late at night where the kids can't hear, we were having a fight. Have you ever had a fight? No, liar. So, uh, liar, that's a guy trying to have a good Valentine's Day by lying in the Lord's house. Good luck with that, buddy. So, um, Lord's not gonna bless that kind of dishonesty. If you've been married, You've had a fight, and if you've not had a fight, you're lying, okay? So we were having a fight, and Grace looked at me, and she felt inclined in the spirit to say something. She said, uh, I am not your enemy. And here's what I said, yes, you are. Yes, you are. And she started crying, uh, because that's my second spiritual gift, is making women cry. Um, She started crying, and she said, I'm not your enemy. And it dawned on me in that moment that What that woman told us on our honeymoon, I had forgotten. That we do have an enemy, but your spouse is not your enemy. And what tends to happen when we go into marriage, you tend to think, well, it's two people, the husband and the wife. And if you're a Christian, you think it's three people, the husband, the wife, and the Lord. If you really know your Bible, it's four people. It's the husband, the wife, the Lord, and the enemy of the husband and the wife and the Lord. That really, there are four people in your marriage. And and ultimately, I wanna talk a lot about that fourth person. We're gonna talk about spiritual warfare because what we tend to think of is marriage and spiritual warfare is totally separate categories, all right? If you go to the Christian bookstore or if you look online, these are two categories, marriage and war. How many of you, marriage is war? You're like, those should be the same category because Satan shows up in the marriage. And I wanna put spiritual warfare over marriage and I want you to see this from a deep and profound biblical perspective. And so here's the big idea for this session, what God builds, Satan breaks. God is always trying to build things, Satan is always trying to break them. And I'll start with God builds family in the scene realm. So we're gonna deal with 
God and everything that he's trying to build and Satan and everything that he's trying to break. And ultimately, God builds family in the seen realm. So there are two realms. There is the realm that we see and the realm that only God sees. There is the unseen realm, which is the realm behind the realm. This is the place of spiritual warfare, angelic, demonic, and other divine beings. And what God is doing right now in both realms is the same thing. He is a father seeking to build a family. So I'll start with Romans 8, 14 through 16. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Family language. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. What he's saying is this, that human beings in the seen realm, that what God is trying to do amongst us is build a family. God has this language in the Old Testament where he says that he is going to build a people for his own possession. And he says, I will be your God and you will be my people. It's God speaking like a father, creating and architecting a family. In the New Testament, a lot of the language of our relationship with God is family. God's a father, Jesus is the son of God. We are positionally the sons of God. We are the children of God. So the Bible says to treat older men like fathers, older women like mothers, younger women like sisters and brothers. It has this family language. In addition, the Bible says that to become a Christian is to get adopted into a family. And that's the language that the Apostle Paul is here using in the book of Romans. And so ultimately what God is trying to do is build a family. This is God's primary motif for relationship and life and what he is seeking to accomplish. Not only is God doing that in the scene realm, causing us to become Christians, bringing us together into relationship as God's family, the church, God is also seeking to have that same kind of family relationship with all of the members of the unseen realm and the divine family. And so I'll give you this section in Job 38, four through seven. And this is a peek into the unseen realm. In addition to the world we see is a world we don't see. Grace and I get into this, my wife and I do, in our book, Win Your War. And just as our world is real, that world is real. Just as our world is filled with human beings, that world is filled with divine beings. And what God sees is one reality in two realms. And sometimes the Bible will peer into the unseen realm. John, Daniel, David, um, Isaiah. There are places in the Bible where the curtain is pulled back and someone in the physical realm gets to peer into the spirit realm. Here is one of those occasions with Job. Job had a bunch of questions for God and God didn't necessarily answer those questions. And instead he shows up and he has a question for Job in Job 38, four through seven. And so God starts with this, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? See, it's good, it's perfectly fine to question God, but not to accuse God. A, que a question is, God, I don't understand. An accusation is, God, I do understand. And I think, I, I think you've made a mistake or you have a problem. God will receive questions, but not accusations. Job's questions up to this point were actually in the form of an accusation. And so what God does is he reminds him who is ultimately in the judgment seat and it is not Job. Tell me if you have understanding who determined its measurements, surely you know, or who stretched the line upon it. Goes on to say, on what were its bases sunk or laid its cornerstone? Now here's the two categories of divine beings. When the divine stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. What he's saying is, Job, before I made you, I made some divine beings in the unseen realm and they were there when I made the world that you inhabit and occupy. 
This must mean that they cannot be human beings because they were present at the creation of the world before the creation of Adam and Eve, our first parents. And what God is talking about here is life in the unseen realm, in the unseen realm. And let me just submit this to you. Many of the problems we have in our world are ultimately caused by the world that we do not see. That ultimately a lot of the problems that we're having economically, politically, socially, morally, physically, are ultimately problems in the seen realm, but they begin in the unseen realm. A lot of the problems that human beings are dealing with are ultimately being caused by demonic beings at work in our world. Some of you will ask how this will relate to marriage. We'll get there momentarily, but let me set a big overarching biblical understanding of reality for you. And when it talks about here God's divine family, you'll notice it uses the language of the sons of God. The same language that the Apostle Paul used for those of us who are in the seen realm. How many of you have heard about angels? We've all heard about angels, right? That is not the only category of divine being in the unseen realm. It also speaks of the watchers, the holy ones, the hosts, the seat of the gods, the court and judgment, the host of heaven, the prince of the host, the cherubim, the seraphim, the archangels, the commander, prince, chief, lord, divine counsel, the stars, the morning stars, and the sons of God. In addition to angels, there are all of these other divine beings, some of them quite mysterious in the unseen realm. Here we hear of two categories in Job. One is the stars, and in their language there was um, stars that would sort of be physically between us and God. And so they use the language of stars to refer to angels and other divine beings as somehow between us and God. So that's the language of the stars. And when it comes to angels and other divine beings, over 300 times angels are mentioned in the Bible. They're spoken of some 90% of the books of the Bible. We hear of innumerable angels, thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. There are three named angels in the Bible, Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. There are also categories of angels in hierarchy like archangels, commanders, cherubim, seraphim, guardian angel. And let me say this, Revelation two and three, it is a series of letters written to the church. And in addition to human physical leadership, there is divine spiritual leadership. Here's what I'm telling you. Here at James River, there is in addition to your senior pastor, there is a heavenly host who is assigned to oversee this church family and to protect it and to serve it in the unseen realm. Just as you have senior leadership in the seen realm, you have senior leadership in the unseen realm. I believe the same is true of all of your campuses. In addition to the local leadership, there is divine leadership that is also deployed by God. So we see in Revelation two and three, there's a lot more going on in this world than you and I see. And let me say that spiritual warfare and spiritual reality is like gravity. It exists whether you believe in it or not. And it affects everyone, every moment of every day and every decision we make. Now it doesn't matter whether or not I believe in gravity. If I drop the water bottle, what happens? It falls to the ground. Satan, demons, angels, and other divine beings in the unseen realm, they are real, they really do exist. They really do impact and affect our lives and realities, whether we believe in them or not. And what I would submit to you is, we are living in a time of unprecedented economic, social, moral, political war. Let me tell you that there is a war behind the wars and that the problems that we have will not be solved with just elections, politicians. They will not necessarily be solved with masks or mandates that ultimately we're going to need the presence of God to heal the problems that we truly have. Okay? 
In addition here in Job 38, in addition to the stars, it speaks of the sons of God or the gods. These are divine beings, just as we are human beings. They do not necessarily have a gender, though they can appear incognito and undercover for divine assignment. That's why Hebrews 13.2 says that some have entertained angels unknowingly. So here's what I'm telling you, that there is the unseen realm and the seen realm, and for God, these two realms form one reality. Uh, I'll give you an example of how we were supposed to live together. We'll get into it in a moment. Do you remember the story of Genesis 3, Adam and Eve? So a serpent comes up, we'll deal with this at the very end, has a conversation with Eve. How many of you women find that odd? Like how many of you, like if a large snake came to your house and started talking to you, you would be less cavalier than Eve is in that conversation. She seems very matter of fact, she's like, oh, the snake's here, we're chatting. I, I don't know about you, that seems odd. Like if I came home and Grace was talking to a large serpent, I'd be talking to Grace. That seems odd to me. Eve is not terrified, startled, and there's nothing unusual about her conversation because what that was, that was a conversation with a divine being. Before sin entered the world and God kicked us out of the garden, we had constant interaction between the seen and the unseen realm, and it was not unusual to see divine beings. Ultimately, these two realities work together. They do work together. Now, if God is trying to build family in the seen realm and the unseen realm, and God's intent is for the seen realm and the unseen realm to be one reality that work together, and that ultimately God's divine family and God's human family would be working together, then the question is, well, what has gone so wrong in our world? Well, that's, that's where the storyline of the Bible, quite frankly, is the only thing that makes sense of reality in the world. See, well, here's what we're told in, in the world. We're good and getting better. How many of you, you're not seeing that? We're evolving. Let me tell you this, we're not evolving. If anything, we're devolving. We have the evolutionary chart backwards. We're, we, we didn't start as monkeys, but we're on our way. Right? <laughs> that we're not, the world is not getting better. All of our advancements in technology and war, it's just ultimately to create more pornography and murder more babies. We're not making progress. We're just not making progress. And so what everybody thinks is we're good and getting better and the Bible says, no, we're bad and getting worse. And ultimately the problem is spiritual and it's supernatural. So everything that God seeks to build, Satan seeks to break. So Satan breaks family in the unseen realm, okay? Revelation 12 tells us. So God, before, before sin entered the world, all God had before he made us was his divine family. And God built a divine family. And then one member of that family, a created being, a high-ranking divine being, we know him as Satan or Lucifer, he decided he would declare war on God. And you know what he did? He attacked God's divine family. I'll read it to you. Revelation 12, seven through nine. Now war arose in heaven. Michael, one of the named angels and his angels, God doesn't fight these battles because Satan is not a peer with God. Satan is created, God is creators. Satan has power, but God is all powerful. And so you don't need even to, you can exercise the God-given authority that he has given you. And here Michael uses his delegated divine authority, and he is able to defeat Satan of his own accord. God doesn't even need to get involved, okay? Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. 
And the dragon and his angels, divine beings that are now fallen and rebellious, fought back and he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. So God built a family in the unseen realm. Satan decided that he was gonna break the family that God was building. Ultimately, God's family fought back, but there was a division. So let me say this, I wanna be very careful with this. There was a divorce in heaven. There was a divorce in heaven. Satan decided that he was going to divorce himself from God and then all of the angels had to decide which parent they were going with. And some of the demons sided with Satan and they joined the rebellion and some of the angels sided with God. And as a result, what happened in God's family for God's divine family, it felt a lot like a divorce. Some of you grew up in a household of divorce. You're like we were together and then we were separated and people took sides and it felt like war. That happened in God's family in the unseen realm. The story goes on, the dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So they're thrown from the unseen realm to the seen realm, they're thrown from heaven to earth and all of a sudden the family that declared war on God's unseen family is now going to declare war on God's seen family. A Couple of things I wanna make note out of Revelation 12. Number one, the war is always over singular headship and plural leadership. God's family motif, the way God governs in heaven, the way that he has architected the family is singular headship, plural leadership. So in your family, for it to be under God's governance, the husband, the father needs to be the head and the mother and the father, the husband and the wife, they need to be plural leaders. That's why the Bible says, honor your mother and your father, okay? Satan wanted to overthrow the singular headship of God in heaven. Number two, a family in God's presence is not immune from spiritual warfare. God's divine family, Satan declared war, where? In God's presence. Some of you think, if I could just keep my family in God's presence, we won't have any war. Just because your family is in God's presence does not mean that there won't be war. God's divine family was in God's presence and that's where war erupted in the presence of God. Some of you, your kids are wayward. Satan has really snatched them. They're in a prodigal or rebellious phase. And you're asking yourself, what happened? We raised them in the house of God. We raised them in the word of God. We raised them in the spirit of God. We raised them in the presence of God. It may not even indicate a failure in parenting in the same way that God the Father was not a failed parent when war erupted in heaven. I wanna get that demonic condemnation off of some of you. It's not that you have failed, but you have been attacked. God did not fail, but he was attacked. God was not a poor parent. He was just seeing his family be attacked. You may not be a bad parent, but your family literally might be under spiritual attack. Okay? There is now no condemnation in Christ. And the accuser of the children of God who accuses them day and night, Revelation 12, 10, he's been telling some of you that his attack on your family or your kids is because of your failure. And it may not be that case at all. None of us is a perfect parent as the father is but it may just be not only is he attacking them, then he is haunting, accusing, and attacking you by lying to you about why they were attacked. In addition, number three, it's not enough to be in God's presence. You're my Pentecostal charismatic friends, okay? I can tell during worship, because this is a Baptist, okay? This is a Pentecostal, this is a charismatic, right? <laughs> And this is someone who is Catholic. Okay, that's how you know the difference. 
For some of you that were raised in more Pentecostal traditions, the thought is often, as long as we're in God's presence, we're safe. True? No, God's presence needs to be in you. You need to be in God's presence, but God's presence needs to be in you. The problem with Satan and demons who declared war on God's family in the unseen realm is not that they were not in the presence of God, but the presence of God was not in them. A couple other observations. This war is the problem behind all of our problems. If we didn't have this war, we wouldn't have any of the other wars. That means understanding this war is the key to understanding all of our battles. Because every war is part of the great war. Now, some of you are totally lost. You're welcome. Okay. So you're like, why are we talking about spiritual warfare? I thought this was a marriage conference. I heard this guy had a potty mouth. I looked at him on the internet and I thought he was gonna let us do some naughty things. And so, look, I got icy hot, I stretched out, I'm ready, I, I'm ready to go. It's hot outside, inside rather, even though it's cold outside. You know, I'm, I'm planning on having a good night tonight. Let me say this, understanding Satan, demons and spiritual warfare is the only thing that makes sense of why marriage is so hard. Are you ready? I said that God made a family in the unseen realm and, and Satan attacked it. God made a family in the seen realm. Question, did Satan attack it? Yes. We're gonna look at Genesis. And let me say this, Satan didn't even show up until after they were married. Could Satan have showed up while Adam was single? Sure. He didn't even show up until they were married. Spiritual warfare doesn't begin truly until you're married. If you're single, I hate to break it to you. Okay, some of you are single. You're like, I was reading the Bible. Yep, they were naked and got married. Let me just tell you, those days are over. Okay, those days are gone. You gotta keep reading the story. Satan showed up, they put clothes on and they fought. That's marriage. <laughs> That's marriage. Amen? I mean, you all have clothes on and I know you fought on the way here. I know you did. I'll be honest with you, every time Grace and I do a marriage event, we fight. So pray for me, imagine what I put up with. I mean, it's terrible, it's horrible. So let's look at this. So Genesis two and three, we're gonna look at the first marriage, the first family. A man shall, what's the word? Single guys, if you're still living with your parents, don't go home tonight, that's over. You gotta find another place to sleep. You're done, leave, okay? How many of you parents, that was the only word from the Lord you really needed tonight? You got your, your money's worth. Move, son, okay, move. A man shall leave his father and mother Hold fast to his wife, pursue her vigorously. The two shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both what? It was very quick. <laughs> Found a lot of people's life verse. <laughs> uh, naked. Every time I do this in Texas, they call it naked. I don't know why. So the man and his wife were naked and they were not what? Ashamed. That's God's intent for marriage. We bring so much shame into our sexuality and into our intimacy and all of that is because we've been attacked by the serpent. Before he showed up, there was no shame. Now the serpent, Revelation tells us that that is Satan, said to the woman, 
Okay, so he's gonna have a conversation with Eve. And again, does this seem rather normal? How many of you have read the story many times and never really asked, why is Eve not freaked out? How many, again, how many of you ladies, if an animal talked to you, you would go get a drug test. You'd say, I'm not doing good. (laughs) They were used to the seen and the unseen realm being connected. Let me say this, after we rise from the dead, heaven and earth will come together. The seen and the unseen will come together. God's family in the unseen realm and God's family in the seen realm will come together. You're gonna spend eternity having conversations with members of the divine family. She did, that's why it was not unusual for her. Eden was the connecting point between heaven and earth. It was where the realms came together. Now the serpent said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? That's not what God said. What God said was, eat whatever you want with one exception. Here's the problem. We tend to see God as a law God, not a grace God. In the garden, God had a bunch of grace trees, eat whatever you want, one law tree, don't touch that tree. God had far more grace than he did law. Every time Satan gets involved in religion, he creates far more law and far less grace. Okay, so God says, God said, no, eat anything you want. There's just one exception. This is like a parent saying, anything in the fridge, anything in the pantry, just don't drink the bleach under the sink. That's not good for you. Okay? If you're a parent, you need to go home and tell your kids that. That's very important information. So what he says is, no, no, God's a law God, not a grace God. Did he say you can't eat anything? No, no, he said we have total freedom with one exception. God said you should not eat fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. Where's the temptation? It's always in the middle. It's always in the middle of the family. It's always in the middle of the marriage. You gotta learn to walk around it. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Did God tell them they couldn't touch it? No, she added to it. See, Satan twists God's word and she adds to God's word. These are the two problems. We either misuse God's word or we add to God's word. So then she took its fruit and ate. Who sinned first, Adam or Eve? Not a trick question. Eve, okay? She took some of its fruit and ate, gave some to her husband. Where was he? He was there. There's an old Puritan proverb that says when Adam was away, Eve fell astray. That's not how it went down. What was Adam doing? Nothing. Okay? What was Adam saying? Nothing. How does spiritual warfare show up in your marriage? Silent, passive men. Some guys would be like, I didn't do anything. That was the problem. I didn't say anything. That's the problem. God made men to be active, not passive. And you either surrender to the Lord or you surrender to the enemy of the Lord. And if you say and do nothing, you've surrendered to the enemy of the Lord. Let me say this right now. There are, there are thir- 11 to 13 million more women than men in church. 60% of church attenders are women. I was gonna share this statistic on Sunday. There was, a, um, there was a, a report put out some years ago by the Baptist Press and the Promise Keepers. If a man regularly attends church, his children, when they become adults, will have a 67 to 75% chance of regularly attending church. 
If he attends without his wife, those numbers are the same. If the wife goes to church regularly without her husband, when her children become adults, they have a 2% chance of regularly attending church. See, the Bible says that the man is the head of the household. The question is not, are you the head? The question is, are you a good head or a bad head? The question is, are you leading toward the Lord or are you leading away from the Lord? The question is not, are you the leader, but are you an active or a passive leader? Now on the flip side, for you guys that are domineering and overbearing and boorish, you're, you're not loving like Christ loves the church. The essence of being a man is taking responsibility, even when it's not your fault, okay? Here Eve is making her own decisions. Adam did not love her enough to take responsibility. Jesus loves us enough that he will take responsibility for things that are not his fault. Question, when Jesus went to the cross, he died for my sin. Was any of my sin his fault? No, but you know what Jesus did? He took that which was my fault and he made it his responsibility. That is the essence of masculine leadership. Even if it's not your fault, it's still your responsibility. And some of you men, you're passive. You're not taking responsibility. And some of you men will say, it's not my fault. I don't care if it's your fault, it's still your responsibility. See, the big problem in spiritual warfare is we tend to think of like Rosemary's baby and Bride of Chucky and, you know, just insanity. And here's what spiritual warfare tends to look like. A passive, silent, cowardly man. And in our culture, we would say that an active man is a toxic man. We would say that a responsible man is, 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 is a bad man. It's because Satan has taken over marketing and messaging and masculinity. And what do we do? We just get our kids addicted. We decriminalize drugs. We, we abort our kids. We, we let the school system brainwash them. Meanwhile, dad just stands back and says, I didn't say anything. That's the problem. Okay? Let's keep in the story. See, some of you are not offended, so we need to keep going. <laughs> So I believe in equality. I believe in offending everyone equally. So just hang with me if you've not been offended, okay? She gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. The eyes of both of them were open. They knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together. Now there's not intimacy, there's covering. Now there's not trust, there's distrust and mistrust. And they made themselves loincloths and they what? They hid from God. They hid from God. among the trees of the garden. Not only are they hiding from God, when you, when you sin and you run from God, you get stupid. Do you really think God's like, where are they? <laughs> right, like, here they are. Shh, stay still, they'll never find us. Never find us, right? You ever met a married couple that ran from God and you ask them what they're doing and everything they tell you sounds stupid to you but not to them? Okay, then you've not done any marriage counseling. Okay. And the Lord, they hid themselves. The Lord God called to whom? The man, who sinned first? The woman, who did God call out to first? The man, why? He's responsible, he's firstly responsible. He's not solely responsible, there is group guilt. Satan, Eve, and Adam all sin against God. God shows up, he deals with Adam, then Eve, then Satan, because that was supposed to be the order of leadership. 
You're supposed to love her and the two of you are supposed to have dominion over him. It says in Romans 5, 12 through 21 that because of one man's sin, the whole race fell. Now who sinned first? Eve, who does God call for first? Adam, who's held firstly responsible? Adam. The key to winning the war in your marriage is that men would take responsibility and lead their family with love in the purposes of God, okay? It continues. The Lord God called to the man, said, where are you? It's a great question I would have for all the men. With your kids, where are you? With your wife, where are you? With your church, where are you? With your daughter's boyfriend, where are you? And he said, I heard, the sound, your, uh, heard your sound in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. The man said, the woman you gave me, she gave me fruit and I ate. Immediately, at, so Adam is the Greek word for American. He's a victim, okay, he's a victim, okay. He's a victim. He's like, what happened? I'm a victim. It's like, okay, let's run, let's run this back, Lord. You and me, we were great. Remember that? Great. You, you made a woman. I hope she's, you know, not the prototype. I hope we're still in the lab getting this figured out. She's not quite right, this one here. Ever since she showed up, Crazy. She got a pet dragon. It's been nuts. It's been nuts. And I'm just sitting there saying and doing nothing. She, she ate something, fed it to me. I'm a victim. Lord, not just the woman, the woman you made. Lord, I forgive you, but you and this girl, you... You guys owe me an apology. You, you, you gave me the... Here's what Adam is saying. I think I married the wrong woman. Something that every son of Adam has at least thought once. Okay? If you're a wife, don't ask your husband. I don't want to ruin the whole weekend. <laughs> the woman, so then God comes to the woman and says, well, what happened? So Eve's Pentecostal. Okay. Adam's American, he's a victim, Eve's Pentecostal, the devil made me do it. She pulls that out. Isn't it interesting she doesn't blame her husband? Sometimes women, even when their husbands fail, they will defend their weak failed husbands and they'll make excuses. The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So God drove the man and at the east of the, Eden, of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim. There's a divine being. See that? And a flaming sword to guard from the tree of life. This was God's grace, because had they continued to eat of the tree of life, they would live forever apart from God. Now, ultimately, there is a breach in God's family in the seen realm. Satan declared war on God's family in the unseen realm, and then God cast him down to earth, Satan then declared war on God's family in the scene realm. Here's what I'm telling you. God is always trying to build a family. Satan is always trying to break it. Okay. Some of you need to know that it's not just you and your spouse and the Lord. You really do have an enemy in your marriage and relationship. Now, tomorrow we're gonna deal with a lot of ways you can see spiritual warfare in your marriage. 
but I believe this is a great overlooked category because here's what I think. I think that most of the teaching on marriage and family and sex and gender and relationship, it is absent of the Bible, so it ignores the supernatural and the demonic. And as a result, people are getting attacked and they don't know why. And sometimes they think it's their spouse and it's not, it's the enemy of them and their spouse. So let me ask the wise a few questions. Number one, where has Satan showed up in your marriage? Satan showed up in their marriage. Ladies, Satan shows up in your marriage. Number two, ladies, what has Satan been saying to you about your marriage? Satan showed up and he had a conversation with Eve about her relationship with God and her relationship with her husband. What has Satan been saying to you? And then ladies, how have you been blame shifting or covering or excuse making for your husband? If you're the daughters of Eve, Genesis is not just what happened, it's what always happens. If Satan attacked their family, do you think he's attacking your family? Yes. If he attacked their marriage, do you think he's attacking your marriage? Yes. And what happened is Adam is guilty and then Eve tries to excuse make and blame shift for him. This happens all the time. I've been doing this job long enough. There's a guy not loving and leading. You confront him. Immediately then the wife covers him, defends him. They become like two barrels on a gun. Rather than her saying, you know what? Yeah, I do love him, but he should, he should make some adjustments. He's not leading our family well. Husbands, here's a few questions for you. God asks Adam, and this is really interesting. The first question in the history of the world I, never, I don't even ever thought of this until this moment. You can tell me if it was the Holy Spirit or not, okay? The first question in the history of the world is God asking a man what? Where are you? You know what, that, that must mean that that's the most important question. If that's the first question, that must be a very significant question. Son, I made you, I gave you some responsibilities, some duties, some assignments. I also gave you my daughter. Where are you? Where are you? And I would ask you men, where are you? Are you actively present emotionally, spiritually, physically, financially with your wife, with your kids, with your family? Where are you? Number two, this will be very controversial. So there's Adam, Eve, and Satan. Who's supposed to lead the family? Adam. He doesn't lead it. Who leads it? Satan. So men, do you understand that if you do not lead your family, Satan will? This is really serious business. I want you men not to just think about a good time, but a good legacy. You know what's interesting? Here we are thousands of years and billions of people later. And guess what? The decision that Adam made still affects every single one of us. The reason that some of you are wearing a mask is because Adam made a decision to bring death into the world. The point I'm trying to make this, men, is the decisions you make today could affect thousands, millions, billions of people for thousands of years. Most men think about a good time, not a good legacy. Most men think about the path of least resistance and not the path of greatest glory to God. 
I need you men to have a re-hardwiring of your mind, to not be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To say, you know what? Satan is real, and my family and marriage really are under attack. Now telling you men that, do you see it? Do you see how Satan is coming for your wife? He's coming for your kids. He's coming for your covenant. He's coming for your marriage. He's coming for your family. He's coming for your grandkids. He's coming for your legacy. If he went after God's family, he's going after your family. If he went after Adam's family, he's going after your family. And I need all of you men to have your eyes open to see the truth and your hearts open to love the Lord and your lives open to invest in your family. How many of you men, here's another question, you believe that maybe you married the wrong woman? See, as soon as it got hard, that's basically what Adam told God. You gave me a woman, but I, I, I kind of wonder if it was the right woman. If you're single, let me tell you this, there's one way to know you married the right one. You married them. Right. So I don't know if I married the right one. If you married them, they're now the right one. That's how this works. Okay. Couple questions for husbands and wives. What is your forbidden fruit? In every marriage, the couple's gonna have some forbidden fruit. For some of you, it's drugs, alcohol, pornography, anger, violence, gambling, spending, selfishness. In every marriage, there is some forbidden fruit. And usually it's in the middle of the marriage, just like it was in the middle of the garden. You're gonna to need to learn to walk by it. That's an act of worship. What is your forbidden fruit? Number two, do you see that the storyline of the Bible is that the war comes after the wedding? The storyline of the Bible is, Wedding, then war. How many of you, that's your experience? How many of you, you thought, I can't wait till we get married and then it's easy. And then you got married and you're like, yeah, it's not like that. I love grace with all my heart, but let me tell you, we've been through war together. Spiritual warfare looks a lot like two people walking in God's will against enemy fire for decades until they can hold their grandkids. That's what it looks like, friends. So, is there any hope here? It's been a little dour, been a little, been a little told a few naughty jokes at the front, warmed you up, then it got real dark. I don't know if you noticed that, <laughs> got real dark. Is there any hope here? Yes. No. <laughs> no. There's none. So I'm gonna close in prayer and then, Yeah, there's hope. Because God shows up in Genesis 3 and he promises that his son Jesus Christ is coming as a dragon slayer. That's the good news. Now the bad news is there is a dragon. Good news is there is a dragon slayer. And what he says is, okay, Adam, you blew it. Eve, you blew it. Satan, you blew it. Jesus is gonna fix it, okay? Question, is Jesus coming to forgive Satan and demons? You and I have got a gift for God's human family that he did not offer to his divine family. 
Some people ask, I don't know, how could God send anyone to hell? My question is always, how could God take anyone to heaven? Hell makes sense. Heaven, to me, that's, that's a conundrum. Because see, when Satan and demons declared war on God in the unseen realm, and they declared war on God's divine family, God didn't send Jesus to live without sin, to die for their sin and to rise so that they could be forgiven and restored into the family. Satan and demons only go to hell. None of them go to heaven. None of the rebellious members of the divine family in the unseen realm, none of them are ever forgiven. None of them get a relationship with God. None of them receive eternal life. Guess what we get? We get a gift that they didn't get. His name is Jesus Christ. And that he comes down to live the life that you and I have not lived. And he dies the death that we should have deserved. And on the cross, the Lord Jesus showed us the essence of what it means to truly be a man. And that is to out of sacrificial love, take responsibility even when it's not your fault. And Jesus went to the cross and he died in our place for our sins. None of it was his fault, but he made it all his responsibility. And let me tell you men, that's the essence of what love is. It's sacrificing for the benefit of someone else so that even if it is not your fault, it becomes your responsibility because you wanna be in relationship with that person so desperately that you will do whatever you can to maintain and secure that relationship. And Jesus died in our place for our sins and he rose conquering Satan's sin, death, hell, the wrath of God. So let me say this, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you need Jesus. If you're here and you're trying to fix your marriage, you can't fix your marriage without Jesus. If you're here because you want to learn some things to make your marriage better, before I give you any principles, I need to tell you about a person named Jesus Christ. The marriage doesn't work, friends, without Jesus. That if Satan is gonna show up in your relationship uninvited, you make sure that Jesus shows up because he's invited. So my question to you would be, do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you serve Jesus? Are you following Jesus? Do you wanna be like Jesus? Are you devoted to Jesus? Have you given your sins to Jesus? Are you inviting Jesus into your marriage? Are you inviting Jesus into your family? You're inviting Jesus into your sexuality? You're inviting Jesus into your parenting? Because let me tell you this, Satan already showed up. You didn't have to invite him. Genesis, did they invite Satan? No, did you invite Satan? No. But see, Jesus is a gentleman. He wants you to invite him. And he comes as the dragon slayer to get rid of that which is demonic, that which is evil, that which brings death and separation. And Jesus alone can take a couple that really is at war and maybe even at war with one another, remove the sin, open their eyes, replace that spirit of deception with the spirit of God and give them a loving, unified, reconciled relationship so that they stand against their enemy and they don't think that one another is the enemy. There are not two people in your marriage. There are not three. There are four. So what I'm gonna ask you to do is I'm gonna ask you to hold hands. And this is you together as a couple in the sight and presence of God, unifying against the demonic forces that wanna divide, defeat, discourage, and destroy you, okay?
And I'm just gonna pray for you. Father God, I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. And God, I know this is a bit of an odd talk, a spiritual warfare talk at a marriage conference. But Lord, as we look at marriages in our country, we see war. When we see parenting and family in our culture, we see war. God, there are so many problems in this world, so much division in this world, so much hatred in this world, so much bitterness in this world, so much animosity in this world. But Lord God, it ultimately started in another world. And God, just as Satan brought division and hostility down to this world, so Holy Spirit, you bring forgiveness, you bring peace, you bring love, you bring joy. God, right now I ask that you would open the eyes of men and women to see where the enemy has been in their life. Holy Spirit, please reveal to them what has he said to them? What has he tempted them? How has he lied to them? How has he deceived them? How has he isolated them? How has he confused them? How has he tormented them? How has he abused them? And Holy Spirit, I ask right now in the strong name of Jesus Christ, that they would see where the enemy has been at work and that they would now cancel strongholds and footholds, that they would invite the Holy Spirit and the grace of God through Jesus Christ to heal those broken places, to illuminate those dark places, to bring faith into those fear-filled places. And God, I pray right now for these marriages and these relationships. And God, I confess in your presence, in the presence of these people, that there were days and times that I thought grace was my enemy. And behind it all was the enemy who was attacking us both and lying to me and wanting me to walk away from Jesus and side with him at war against God and my wife. And God, we are living in unprecedented, unparalleled times of war spiritual, emotional, physical, relational, cultural war. And God, I pray that the division would stop at our marriages. I pray that husbands and wives would be unified in Christ. I pray that God, men would lovingly take responsibility to lead and exercise humble authority. God, I pray that they would be the ones praying with their wives and over their wives, that they would be the ones initiating church attendance and Bible reading and service and sacrifice with their children. And Lord God, as this world gets darker, I pray that the men would go deeper. And I pray against the enemy of servants, their works and effects. And God, I pray for the bit of time we have together tonight and tomorrow, that Holy Spirit, you would open the understanding of men and women, that you would give them a sense of clarity and truth, and that you would awaken in them a sense of emergency, that ultimately Satan is coming for their family as he came for God's family and Adam and Eve's family. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would strengthen us, that we would continue to stand with you and for you, holding hands, loving one another until we see you face to face when you come again to reconcile the realms, to raise the dead, and to restore all that the enemy has stolen. In Jesus' good name, amen.